So I'm really excited about the Word of God this morning. Anyone else excited with me? Great. Well, you know, last week, um, Pastor Steve kicked off um, our mission focus over the next couple of months. Anyone remember the title of his message? I've got someone said it at the back. It was Mission Possible. Not impossible, like we see in the movies. Mission Possible. And, um, and Pastor Steve set us out an incredible challenge for the next year ahead, didn't he? About three people that we can come alongside. Three people. I hope you've got those three people on your heart this morning in church. I hope you've been praying about those three people and how you can inter- intercede into their lives um, over this last week that you've had. And um, I've, I feel that God's put a word on my heart for this morning just to follow on from, from where Steve started last week. And um, when I was just praying about God, what do you want to say about mission? And it just felt God say to me, just be about my business. Be about my business. So the title of my message this morning is about the Father's business. About the Father's business. And we're just going to dive in and set a bit of scene here around Luke chapter 2, verse 21 onwards. And just to set a bit of a scene, really. So Jesus, his parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover And when he was 12 years old, 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposed that he was with the rest of the company. And when they realized they couldn't find him, they sought him amongst the relatives and acquaintances. And when they could not find him, they then returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, it was after three days that they found him. Now, come on, parents, right? If your kid's missing for, like, three days, <laughs> that's like, in our time, that's going to be quite bad. But three days, and they found their son. But where did they find him? They found him amongst the teachers, listening and asking them questions. And all they heard, what they heard from him was astonishing at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother and father said to him, son, why have you done this? Look, your father and I have sought for you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I would be about my father's business? Twelve years old. There's a message here for young people I just want to say before we move on. It doesn't matter how young you are. Jesus, twelve years old, going about the father's business. So whatever we talk about this morning, it's for you as well. It's not just for adults. So what was it? Jesus had claimed to be part of his father's business. So what was it that was the father's business that he was, that he was talking about? So, you know, I was just thinking about this, and I thought, well, by, from the time that Adam and Eve committed their first sin, and I believe that, um, you know, when they did that, I think God's business has been about the reconciliation of mankind to himself. That's God's business. And we see that throughout the life of uh, the Bible and the right up through to Jesus fulfilling um, his, his life and, and death and resurrection. And we're probably all really familiar about the role that Jesus plays in that reconciliation role, his death, his resurrection. But I think it's important to appreciate the role that the Father had in the work of salvation. In John chapter six fifty seven, Jesus said these words, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And in the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus said, in the same way, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these should perish. 
You know, Father, uh, the Father sent Jesus to break the power of darkness, and he made it possible through Jesus to reconcile us to himself. And the Bible tells us that Jesus willingly gave up his position to come down to earth and to, to, to fulfill that role. But it was the Father who said, it was the Father who loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. It was the Father's heart that sent Jesus. And it was by the Father's appointment that Jesus came. Jesus, Jesus didn't just come because he wanted to do it. I'm sure Jesus probably agonized over the coming to fulfill the Father's heart and his wishes and the appointment that he had for him. And I just want to get us a grasp of the Father's heart here this morning before we understand what it is to do the Father's business because the Father's heart was just full of love for us. And therefore, the whole of the business of the Father is all about his love for us poured out through Jesus Christ to reconcile us and the whole of mankind to him. That is the Father's heart. So forgiving, so loving that he sent his one and only son that we might become his children. That's the Father's heart for us this morning, out of that love. And then John 1, 2, familiar we will be with this. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. The children of God. So that's his heart for us this morning. And so if we're children of God, we're children of the Father, and Jesus was obviously a child of the Father, and Jesus was called to go about doing the Father's business, then there's a calling on each and every one of us here this morning to go and do the Father's business as well, in the same way that Jesus did. So this morning I thought as we carry on our mission kind of theme, that what better way than to look at how Jesus was carrying out the Father's business. And I hope that we can bring some inspiration from the, how Jesus was carrying out the Father's business this morning as we think about, as we think about mission in this way. And Jesus himself made a very powerful, strong, comprehensive declaration in the synagogue at Nazareth. He quoted from Isaiah 61. We'll all be familiar with it. He proclaims, Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And in John 14, 12, he went on to say, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater, because I've gone to the Father. So this morning, here's the prophetic word. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The time of the Lord's favor has come in this house, in this city, in our lives. Spirit of the Lord is upon us. You know, I was challenged over the last couple of months just really seeking out what Jesus, how Jesus carried out his life, how he responded to things, how he kind of dealt with tricky situations and, and all the things that he faced. And, um, and I think we can learn some amazing lessons from the life of Jesus. And so I just put together this morning seven reflections on, um, you know, just something that hopefully we can see how Jesus carried out the Father's business 
And um, normally, if I, uh, normally pr- when I preach, I have three points. It takes me about 40 minutes. So seven points. No, let me just kidding. I just say to Steve, it's seven points, but they will be shorter than normal. So, okay, well, I know it's hot. So if anyone needs to stand up and do a star jump in the middle just to wake up a bit, then feel free, free to do it. No, seven points. And we we'll take us through and just see um, some inspiration from Jesus carrying out the Father's business this morning. So my first, my first reflection on that was that his vocation was his passion. His vocation was his passion. And when I start talking about the word business, I don't know many of you, those of you that work in the world of business, you probably think about the word work and kind of that word, that concept of something that you, you do and you get paid for it. You get paid in exchange for going to work every day than mo- most of us. Some of us volunteer, praise God for those. But most of us get paid to go and do our job. And um, whilst we probably say that we're really passionate about our job and we love our jobs, I'm not sure whether that passion would be sustained if somebody turned around and said to me, Anita, I know you're really passionate about your job that you do, so we want you to carry on doing it, but we're not going to pay you for it anymore. What would, do you think my reaction might be? Oh, we might need to talk about this a bit, because I'm not quite sure. Because it's a vocation. Yeah, it's a vocation. It's not a heart and soul passion like Jesus had. When Jesus um, drove the traders out of the temple, the disciples record the prophecy, passion for God's house will consume me. Passion for God's house will consume me. And Jesus put his heart and soul into everything he did. You know, he was the king, heavenly king that came down to earth. And I'm sure, and we think about Jesus coming down to earth, I'm sure he had some, some quite high standards in heaven. You reckon, as a king? You know, I love all the pomp and ceremony of, you know, some of you might not be royalists, I'm not going to go into that, but I love the pomp and ceremony of, our, of, like, of the royal family that we have in our country. And a couple of months ago, we had the, um, the uh, coronation ceremony, didn't we? We saw this absolutely wonderful display of pageantry and everything going down the streets. And um, that's not a passion, the glory of heaven, the king leave presence, being in the presence of God in, in heaven. It's not a patch on that. And so Jesus left all of that and came down to earth. So you could imagine he's probably got some kind of some standards as king and, uh, and everything that he was coming down from, from heaven, from that thronely environment that he was. But when we look at Jesus, he, he was more comfortable being around the poor fishermen than he was being around the wealthy and the rich and all of that kind of pomp. You know, he was more comfortable being in the presence of fishermen who were probably, probably very smelly. Fishermen get smelly with the fish, probably very smelly, probably less educated than some people, if educated at all. He walked amongst sinners and, you know, he was, re- he was moved with compassion when he reached out and he touched the hand of the man with leprosy. He touched the hand of the man with leprosy and healed him. And I can imagine everybody around saying, why are you touching this man? We banish, we banish people with leprosy because they're infectious, so no, one can touch, so no one else can get infected. And you reached out and you touched them. Why was it? Jesus didn't act like somebody who was condescending or felt it condescending to do work that was somehow beneath him, coming from heaven to earth. He didn't act as though he was doing the work that was beneath him. No, he took pleasure in it. It was his passion his heart and his whole soul was in the business that he was doing. And we'll be familiar with the fact that Jesus was invited to many people's houses 
um, to eat. He, he was invited to the Pharisees' houses, and um, I'm sure they probably offered him food that was more tasty than sort of the bread and things that he would have had in some of the other people's houses. Um, but what we see here is that Jesus, in that, in that environment, even though the food was better, and the probably the, the comfort of the surroundings was probably better, he was unhappy in that environment. You know, always waiting for them to trip him up, to catch him out, just being on edge, seeing their tactics. Yet what we see when Jesus went to the home of the notorious sinner, Zacchaeus, Jesus was joyful. And why was it he was joyful? Why was it he was joyful when he went to the house of Zacchaeus? For salvation had come to the house. If we read the story of Zacchaeus, salvation had come to the house. And yes, Jesus was doing the business of the Father, but it was his sole passion. And you can really tell how passionate someone is about something, how joyous they are when they're doing it. Like if you say to your children, can you go and clean your room? And they probably go, mm. But if you say to them, right, we're going to go to the cinema now, and they go, yes! They're passionate about the thing that they really, that they really enjoy and that's what joy comes out of them. So when we go about the Father's business, let's have the same passion as Jesus. It's not about duty. It's about seeing the joy of the lost saved and the kingdom of God enlarged. Jesus was joyful because salvation was in the house. And this morning, there's joy in this house. We sang a wonderful song this morning. I was so pleased that we started with that because that's what I was feeling. Come on, let's get some passion for the joy of salvation in this house, like Jesus was joyful with salvation in the house of Zacchaeus. So my second reflection is that he was motivated by understanding the peril of unsuccess. The peril of unsuccess. You know, Jesus came to save the lost, and um, when he stood at the hilltop overlooking Jerusalem, he talked about the future when it would be destroyed. And, and in Mark 13, it sets out the signs of the times of when this is going to happen. And you can read that yourselves. But it talks about wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, persecution of the followers of Christ. Any of this sound any familiar? Another major earthquake yesterday. Two and a half thousand people affected, dead, I think, last count. Wars, rumors of wars constant sign of the times and but Jesus said but let this be an opportunity to tell them about me for the good news must first be preached to all nations the good news must first be preached to all nations and in Luke 19 when Jesus came closer to Jerusalem he saw the city ahead and he began to weep he began to weep he said how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it is too late. The peace is hidden from your eyes. I think from my research, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think from my research there are only three recorded accounts in the Bible of when Jesus wept. And this was one of them. And really the only thing that Jesus wept about in his time here on earth was seeing people reject his mercy and grace. He didn't care about the things that people did to him. That didn't make him cry. That didn't make him weep. He cared about when people rejected his mercy and his grace. 
You see, his purpose saturated his soul so much that he must see people saved, that he must be going about this. Or if they're not saved, then I'm going to weep. I'm going to weep if they reject me. Didn't care about anything else. His whole spirit was given up to the one great work of seeing souls rescued. Seeing souls rescued. And I wonder whether we have the same motivation as Jesus did here this morning. Are we driven to tears by the very thought that our friends, that our families, that those around us would reject the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ? Does it drive us to complete tear? Do we understand the peril? Peril just means a serious and immediate danger of unsuccess. Mission possible. Unsuccess is an immediate danger the peril of that unsuccess? Or do we saturate our soul? Does it saturate our very being? And does it spur us on? Does it motivate us like it did Jesus to be about the Father's business, to be going about and doing that? That's what Jesus did. I just want to challenge us this morning about just being motivated in the same way that Jesus was by the sheer understanding that time is short, this peril those around us like Jesus was. My third reflection this morning was that he was unapologetic in the face of adversity. (laughs) It often happens when we're passionate and motivated about our purpose and we start stepping out that the enemy will start to rise up against us. Yeah? A couple of months ago, I decided that I was going to step out and, uh, and share something about myself, about my faith and about my spirituality with a group of colleagues, um, and I probably would have not have done it previously, but I thought, well, do you know what? Come on, Anita, practice what you preach, get out there, you step out and you say something. And there was a wonderful moment, actually, at that point in time, and it was a great, it was just brilliant just to bring something of that into, into that context. And then over the last couple of months as well, I've been just having some challenges with a couple of things at work. And I was reading last week, I think it was, just reading some papers relating to this particular issue. And as I was going through the chronology uh, of what was happening, when when did this first start happening? I was really taken by surprise because I realized, oh my goodness me, it started two days after I stepped out. (laughs) Two days after. And I go, oh, why have I been worrying about this? Because this is just going to be something that the devil's trying to throw at me now. So you put it into that context. And it was just absolutely that, that as you start stepping out, the devil throws things out and the enemy starts to rise up against you and brings that adversity. And sometimes the enemy is really obvious. You know, there's been some obvious things that have affected our congregation, this house, really obvious things around sickness, around loss, around needs and, and lots of issues. Um, ever, and there's a connection to that between the time that we appointed Stephen, Pastor Stephen Becky, and they came and we started stepping out in fresh vision and um, started stepping out as a church and the enemy starts rising up and throwing things against us. And that's really obvious. And you go, yeah, I know. The enemy's going to try all he can. And that's really obvious. But sometimes the enemy can be really subtle, really subtle. Perhaps tries to convince us that we aren't worthy. We're imposters. We haven't got what it takes or maybe challenges our character and our motives while we're going about things. Subtlety 
to try and stop you in your tracks, to try and create some opposition for you. And when opposition comes against us, it's really easy to go into the self-defensive mode. I'm terrible, really terrible. Someone challenges me, and whew, I'm quite, you know, get into the defense, self-defense here, self-defensive mode. I'm never wrong, am I, Tony? <laughs> but, you know, so when people challenge us and they come against us, but, you know, it's so easy to get into that self-defense mode. But do you know what that does? It makes it more about me than it does about the purpose of the calling that we're here for. Makes it more about me. And I know that there's many of people that have stopped doing mission in churches because they've been hurt or because somebody said something to them and, you know, it's hurt them and it, it's crushed them. And, you know, it's, it's horrible that the enemy uses people, even in our congregation, to try and stop us and to try and bring in these wedges and to try and bring division and to try and stop us in our tracks. See, the enemy will use anybody. And we've got to discern what is the enemy's tactics here and what isn't. You know, because we're all people, we're all humans, but the enemy will go about doing that. But I've seen so many people that have gone into this self-defense mode, stepped back from the calling of God on their life because of something somebody else has said to them. You know, Jesus didn't go into self-defense mode. He was so set on his purpose. And he wasn't immune to challenges and challengers. You know, he was called, I think, a Samaritan devil. <laughs> he was accused of drunkenness. He was accused of blasphemy, violation of the holy Sabbath day, he was chased out of town, threatened with death, all of those things. He brought correction where it meant that there could be something good brought into the persecutors' lives. But never once did he go into an elaborate defense of his character. He didn't feel the need to. He didn't get into arguments about what he was there for, what he was there to say, what he stood for. He didn't need to get into those arguments. He made no apology for the things that he said. And he said some things that upset a lot of people and attracted a lot of people wanting to drive him out of town. But he just got on with doing the work. Jesus walked around with the majesty of his goodness and he knew whatever the enemy might try to do, it could not derail him or stop him from fulfilling the purpose that he had been sent to do. It could not stop him from fulfilling his father's business. Now, we must remember that, obviously, Jesus was perfect, and everything he did was good, out of goodness and perfect. And, um, well, we're human, so I don't know about you, but I'm just talking about myself now. Far from perfect. Far from perfect. You don't need to... No, not us there. <laughs> Far from perfect. So, you know, we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to upset people, and we're going to hurt people, right? Because that's what we do with humans. You know, we can do it without even thinking. It just becomes that. So... You know, we must apologize for that and always be accountable to each other for that. But the point I'm trying to make here and, and the example that I take from Jesus here is that we should be unapologetic when we are speaking and acting the truth of the word of God into situations. Absolutely unapologetic. I'm not going to spend my time or energy defending what I know the word of God says. Yeah, we're going to be bold and we're, gonna not, we're not going to back down. We're not going to worry about what people say. Because we're standing on the truth of the word of God. So whatever anyone comes against us, let's be unapologetic in the face of that. We know who we are. We can speak and go about the Father's business with boldness and shakeable confidence in the authority that we have in and through Jesus Christ. Because he's given that to us. We have that same authority. So let's not be people that get crushed, bruised, or hurt 
in the face of adversity and rise up with the confidence and the boldness of Jesus Christ and stay focused on mission, stay focused on the mission that he has for us in doing the work of the Father. My fourth reflection on, on Jesus going about the Father's business is that he was always working, always working. And I hadn't clocked it until a couple of weeks ago, and that probably means that I'm just really poorly educated. I don't know my Bible very well, but you might all know better than me. I probably do. But I only realized a couple of weeks ago that, um, that really Jesus' ministry lifespan here on earth only really lasted for about three years. Does anyone else know that? Sorry. But who wants to carry on for it? <laughs> so, you know, three years. When I look at it, I think, my goodness me, this feels like much longer than three years. How can you get all of this done? The stuff that Jesus did, he fed thousands of people. He cast out evil spirits. He healed the blind, sick, deaf, injured, infirm. He dealt with conflict with crowds of people against him. He turned water into wine. He controlled the elements of nature. He allowed Peter and his crew to catch a surprising amounts of fish. He raised the dead to life. He went about doing good everywhere, never ceasing his journeys and pretty much walking everywhere on foot. Now, I love to walk, but at the very thought of doing everything on foot, even though, you know, I like to walk, but the thought, I didn't walk here this morning, walk back, walk somewhere else, walk. Jesus did all of this pretty much on foot everywhere he went. He had very little rest. He says, for the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And even when he was resting in the boat, having a bit of sleep, his disciples came up to him and said, wake up. Why are you sleeping, Jesus? Why are you sleeping? We're going to die. Save us. Here's Jesus going, I was just having a five-minute rest. All this work I'm doing, but Jesus got up, carried on, relentlessly working, relentlessly carrying out the Father's business. And it reads more like 300 years to me, the life of Jesus, when I think about when we read through all the accounts of everything that he managed to do and achieve in that. I don't know about you, but I felt, started feeling exhausted when I think, three years, three years. I feel exhausted just reading about it. You know, what Jesus did in his three years is so much more than any of us can hope to achieve in our lifetimes. But Jesus did say these words, even greater works you can do because I go to the Father. He raises the bar for us this morning. If we're willing to go about the Father's business and follow the Jesus example, working not for ourselves but for others, then greater works than what Jesus did we can do. Greater works than what he did. I can't imagine, really, my tiny brain finds it hard to comprehend what greater works than all of that list of things that we've just read out that Jesus did? What greater works could there possibly be, God, than what Jesus did? I don't know what they can be, but I'm willing to give them a go. You're willing to be workers, willing to just follow in Jesus' example. Think about how can we feed the hungry? How can we cast out evil spirits that keep people in bondage? How can we heal the sick? How can we resolve conflict, conflict bringing restoration to relationships? How can we bring supernatural provision into people's lives, bring life where there's death and destruction? Friends, there's amazing works that God's got planned for us. And I just wanted to go through that. What, the works that Jesus did, those works exist for you and I today. Greater works than what Jesus did. So set our standards high, our expectations high, that we're going to see we're already seeing the sick healed, but we're going to see more of the sick healed. 
We're going to see people raised from the dead. We're going to see lives set free. We're going to see miraculous provision. We're going to feed thousands of people miraculously through intervention that he does as we go on mission for Jesus. Greater works than he did, that is ordained for us too. Let's get our expectations raised. Whatever Jesus did, there's greater works here for us in this city of Plymouth. There are greater works ordained for us as well. He was always working. If we were willing to work like Jesus did, we'll see amazing miracles and amazing provision in our lives. So how did Jesus sustain such a high work rate? <laughs> we, get, we get quite tired, don't we? We get really tired. And, how, did, how did Jesus sustain that work rate? When I was thinking about this, we realized that Jesus was actually refreshed in his work to grow stronger. He was refreshed in his work that made him stronger. Um, There's the account of the Samaritan woman um, at the well. You'll probably be familiar with it. And Jesus had been out all day. They'd been walking, dusty roads, hot sun, a bit like today. And he gets to the well. He's tired, thirsty. Ask the woman. Ask the woman for a drink. Hot. Sits down. And we know that he must have been hungry too because the disciples had gone off to the village to buy food. So he must have been hungry too. And when the disciples came back, they saw him sitting on the well talking to this woman. And then the woman left. She, she went back to, to, to tell the good news of her, of her sort of salvation and meeting Jesus. And the disciples, Jesus was just sat there, and the disciples say to him, why aren't you eating? You must eat. Why aren't you eating? And Jesus said to them, this type of food I have isn't the type of food, this type of food I need isn't the type of food that you can give me. You see, Jesus had already been refreshed because he had seen a woman converted. And Jesus answered them and says, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Nourishment comes from that. You know, there is a supernatural refreshing that comes from doing the work of the Father. And even though we can go through difficulties, we can be tired, we can be weary, we can be thirsty, there is refreshing in those moments. There is refreshing that comes in those moments. You know, Tony and I were, um, Friday night, we were just reflecting on the last 12 months that God's taken us on this journey of, um, you know, it was just over 12 months ago that Tony was diagnosed with his tumor. And we were just reflecting on the ups and downs of this 12-month period. But in that, we were then just becoming so refreshed by the fact that we recalled the words that had been spoken into our life. We recalled the time when God intervened when he did a miracle. We recall the time when he just spoke something into a situation. And you know what, what amazed us the most was the word that we heard that spoke to our heart in February of this year. And the word was when um, the, the man that was lame was lowered down into the roof of the, of the building because he couldn't get through the door. It was too busy. They lowered him down and Jesus healed him. And he said, that they might see. I've healed you that they might see. And you know what? Throughout the whole 12 months, we've seen the miraculous in our lives that they might see. And sharing the testimony of Tony's miraculous healing 
that's what refreshes us. Because we're seeing people that have never known or never heard about the goodness of God hear about the miraculous intervention of Jesus Christ, healing power in his life, that they might see. And do you know what? No matter what difficulties you're going through this morning, there is refreshing available to you through the word of God spoken into your life. And I just want to encourage you this morning. You might be going through a difficult time, but there's refreshing. You can be refreshed to grow stronger even in the difficulties that you face you can be stronger, strengthened. I feel strengthened because of the journey and the challenges we've faced over the last 12 months. I feel refreshed. I feel ready to go. Would I want to do it again? Tough question. But when I see the goodness of God and I see the refreshing of God that they might see, I feel a little bit like Jesus did, I think, on that well. I don't need anything else. I don't need the food that the, the, the food that the disciples were, were offering because I felt refreshed because the salvation had come to somebody. We'd reached somebody, which was about the Father's business, about the Father's business. And my sixth reflection this morning, we're getting there. Stay with me. I'll, I'll speed up because I know everyone's fainting with heat. I am anyway. <laughs> My sixth reflection is that for Jesus, the cross was better than a crown. The cross was better than a crown. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan took him up to the mountaintop. He looked out over and he said, Look, see all this, all these kingdoms of the earth, all the glory of the earth. I'll give it all to you if you bow down and worship me. Jesus tempted at any point, many times in Jesus' life, he walked through, um, you know, his life here on earth. He could have, at any point, been tempted in a different way. When he walked in, well, he drove, rode in on, a, on the donkey on the Palm Sunday, he quite easily could have gone into the temple. He could have commanded the authorities to make him the king of the Jews. Not the mockery one that they put on his cross, but the real one, with all the royalty, with all the pomp and ceremony of that king. He could have done that any time. He, he could have opted for that. He knew his death was shortly to come. He could have opted for the, an easy way to become the king of royalty here on earth. But Jesus didn't come to accomplish an earthly kingdom. He came to wear the crown of, the crown of thorns, to bear our griefs, our suffering, to be victorious over death, and to provide a way for that we could be reconciled to the Father. And, you know, no amount of temptation that the devil could throw at him could distract him from his purpose that he had come to do. Because he was about the Father's business. He was about the Father's business. No amount of temptation. See, the cross was better for him than the crown. The suffering, the humiliation was worth more to him than wealth and honor that he could have got. I just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As we go about the Father's business, let's not be tempted with glitz and pomp and wealth and honor and all of those things that can sometimes distract us. But let's be set on our vision and our mission of sharing the good news and the salvation to the lost. Let's not be, let's not be sidetracked or distracted from that. Our one sole core purpose, share the good news, bring salvation to the lost. And my final point this morning is that Jesus had haste to complete his mission, even though he knew it meant his death. 
When Jesus called his first disciples, he said, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And what was their response? The disciples' response was they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. You know, time was short. There was urgency about Jesus. He didn't have time to have a three-year planning meeting about whether we could put on an event or not. (laughs) He only had three years to achieve all of what he did. Time was short. There was urgency in it. And yet Jesus knew that all the work that he was doing would not be completed until his death. Yet he still went about it with haste and urgency. I'm wondering about how many of us going about the Father's business, knowing that the end required such sacrifice, would deploy the same level of haste. Would, say, would, would go about it with the same energy, or whether we would kick the can down the road a bit, delay in tactics maybe a bit, come back to a bit later. Requires sacrifice. Not quite ready for that now. There's urgency in our time. Time has come. The kingdom of God is near. But what sacrifice are we willing to make? Maybe God's calling you to something. But there's something that you need to be willing to first lay down. What sacrifice? There's a calling on each of us here this morning to be about the Father's business. To be about the Father's business. And Jesus is saying, come Follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. What will your response be? What will my response be? Will we dilly-dally? Will we use delaying tactics? Will we say, I'll think about it a bit, maybe tomorrow? Or will we say immediately, yes, God. Yes, Jesus. I'm going to leave it all behind. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. This morning, I just want us to pray that God will give us an undistracted devotion to Jesus and the mission about doing the Father's business. And you know what we need? The Holy Spirit. For without the Holy Spirit in our lives, it will be impossible for us to truly give our hearts over and our soul over to the true mission of winning souls for him. All of those works require the Holy Spirit in our lives. Holy Spirit in our lives. So I prophesy again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us in this house this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. For He has anointed us to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim the captives will be released. The blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and to declare the time of the Lord's favor has come in this house, in this city, in your families. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Will you be part of the mission, being a part of doing the Father's business? The Spirit of the Lord, just come upon us right now, I pray. Let's just stand to our feet for a minute.
I believe God's pouring out a fresh anointing on each and every one of us this morning. If we were just willing to lay our lives down afresh this morning and say, immediately, Jesus, immediately I'm going to come on your mission. I'm going to join you and I'm going to do the things like what you did, going about the Father's business. What an amazing privilege. Just when we were in worship this morning, we were singing that song, Holy, Holy. I just felt what an amazing privilege. What an amazing privilege that God has brought us into his family to make us his children. And that the very things that he asked Jesus to do, he asked us to do. What an amazing privilege. Lord, oh God, thank you that your spirit is upon us. And if you just want to accept that prophetic word into your life this morning, I just want you to raise your hands. Say, God, Spirit of the Lord, Spirit is on me. Spirit of God is on me. Because you have anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Because you have sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will be seen, that the oppressed will be set free. And to see the favor of the Lord in this city, in our lives. We receive your anointing this morning, Lord God. Receive your anointing. And I pray, Father God, that each person in his room who have said this morning, immediately, Jesus, I will follow after you. Immediately, I will follow after you. That Jesus, that you will be an outpouring of that anointing in this week ahead. In the weeks ahead, as we go about mission in this city, in our, in our families, with those three people that we are praying into, that we are coming alongside, I pray, Father God, that that spirit of anointing will rest on us, that we will speak into the darkness of situations, that we will speak into those captive situations, and that we will declare freedom in the name of Jesus. We will set the captives free. We will open the eyes of the blind because of the anointing that is on us for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We step out in boldness the way that Jesus did, unapologetically declaring the name of Jesus and seeing the kingdom of God enlarged and peoples who are lost being saved and brought back into a reconciliation with the Father. That is your heart. We say thank you. We want to be on the mission of doing the Father's business with you this morning. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen.